Yeah, we're ready. How are you guys doing on that side? Ready. We're good. You're good. All right. How do you guys? How do you guys usually keep remember? Why don't you just do like them do it? Yeah. Just, uh, just, yeah. Why don't you just not micro me? Everything, Nick. <laughs> Thanks for booking the studio, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> was guys, welcome to my freaking world. Yesterday, Nick says to they should us, just know. Shut up. <laughs> Nick says to our Sherm at the studio where they take their dumb podcast. He goes, "Oh, so tomorrow too for the uh, fitness podcast we're doing." And the guy goes, "You never told me." I'm like, I guess we're using my family house. <laughs> and then the second we start recording and you guys are being professionals, these uh, Diet Coke suck my clam, you dopey cocksucker. <laughs> See, welcome to what it is to feel sorry for two open micers and try to help. You know what I'm saying, you guys? Uh, so needy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. We are. We are. Well, they're the best not. <laughs> well, that's that's probably a good way to to introduce the premise of of your podcast. We're here with Nick Scopoletti, my um, longish time friend, and Bo McDowell. Yeah, yeah I got your name right. Yes, and yes, Lisa Lampanelli, their life coach, and they their podcast is called Losers with a Dream, and and it, it's becoming self evident why. So. <laughs> Uh, just uh, get like give us give us the premise of your of your show and 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 how how you came together a little bit and then we'll get into uh, our our de- topic that we're going to not make depressing. Excellent. So since I'm the brains and talent and celebrity <laughs> behind the entire venture, what happened was a couple years ago, my niece Emily and I do anything that my niece and nephews ask of me because I have no life or grandchildren and nothing in my life to make it full. She said, can you come see a friend of mine do comedy? This guy, Bo McDowell. <laughs> so I'm dreading it and I'm thinking it's gonna be awful, but I'm gonna have to lie and say it's good, which I tell him at dinner beforehand. And honestly, I was shocked that it was good. So I think I was such in a stupor that I actually became friendly with him and was like, wow, here's how you can work this on this joke. Here's how you can work on that premise. And then he introduced me to Nick. And I'm like, wow, Nick is far better than Bob. <laughs> <laughs> tons more charisma, talent, and is not as heinous looking. So when they sat around, in all seriousness, I would hear them talk and have really deep discussions. And I was like, wow, there, here's two straight guys, supposedly, who have like, actual vulnerable funny good conversations i'm like you guys should do a podcast because you really speak for a lot of the guys out there who are butch and who are clearly straight guys who won't let their guard down and it ends up they're really funny they have a chemistry and i was like well maybe i'll come on once a month ended up once a week because i've got nothing in my life (laughs) (laughs) losers with dream and that is stolen directly from one of my roasts uh, on Comedy Central, and uh, we like it. We have fun. I, I have something to do now. That's awesome. Uh, I actually knew Nick before he did stand up, um, a little right. bit. Uh, sweet guy. Uh, it, all of his texts to me have "I love you" in them somewhere. So uh, that always makes yeah. me feel warm as an as a you know man of a certain age, I guess. <laughs> Uh, I think that we we have a little bit of parallel here because like my uh, 
podcast partner here, Mike, is uh, also younger and also at least partially Italian. So very Italian, very Italian. Yes. Yeah. His, can I his, ask you? Can I ask you about? Can I ask you about Nick? Did you meet him during his bodybuilding phase? No, uh, no, his body had gone to shit by then. <laughs> It's still awful. It was way worse when you met me too. <laughs> way worse. Uh, it was what twenty seventeen. Yeah, yeah, I think 20, it was twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. Was it just the oh, arm? Right. Yeah. No, no. He came out um, after you left the show that we used to do together. He came out with his buddy Steve. And they you got a lot of buddies, dude. They bummed or yeah, he does. Yeah, are these all from the story we talked about <laughs> previous to recording? Are these where the the buddies are found? Yeah. It's, yeah. Steve was part of that discussion that yeah. Earlier. Tinder buddies. Yeah, I yeah, guess. Tin, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Swipe <laughs> Tinder friends. Whichever way you swipe, that's the way you I I'm yeah. so out of it, I don't know which way you swipe, but that's uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, he came out with stars in his eyes, and they went home. Um, I don't know, depressed or whatever. But uh, so I've known known Nick for a little while, and uh, actually only in person, like a couple of times, right? I mean, we we but we we carry on on the telephone all, a lot, uh, just texting. So yeah, he's actually been on this show uh, solo, like last year during the the height of the lo- or first lockdown. Uh, we talked about whether or not it was okay to be funny about a pandemic, which yeah, I say yes. <laughs> yes, I believe yes. I think it's possible if you can make a joke funny. No subject should be off limits. So for years, I did insult comedy, as you know, no no boundaries, race, creed, sexual abomination, whatever it was. <laughs> And I think even I made a lot of AIDS jokes, rape. If you can make it funny, it's good. So I remember right after September 11th, I was never skilled enough as a comic to make a joke that was meaningful and funny about it. But I remember Colin Quinn and Nick DiPaolo and a bunch of those guys actually had really thought-provoking bits about September 11th. But that's because they're seasoned professionals. So the way I feel is with a COVID, with anything else, if the joke's good, you can defend it. And that's what I tell these guys with comedy, with the podcast. I say, just be able to defend it and say why it's funny. And, you know, you all bets are off when it comes to humor, in my opinion. I like that. And I, I tend to agree. I was listening to a couple of podcasts with a bunch of comedians. It's obviously a super hot topic with whether you want to call it cancel culture or whatever's going on in the world. And I think the hardest thing is that human nature, you can't judge intent of another human. Right. Like you can't. But when you're a comedian, it's clear what the intent is. You're on a stage to entertain. I don't need to read your intent. You're not going on stage to make fun of like or or like cause harm. You're not going on stage to cause harm. Your job as a comedian, you're going on stage to entertain. So then I know your intent. If I'm on the street and you say some crazy shit about 9-11 or the pandemic, I don't know your intent. You're a random dude on the street. You may be malicious. But once you grab a microphone and you're just standing there and I paid money to go watch you, I know your intent. So why wouldn't that be okay? Right. No, I, I agree, except you're forgetting the vast amount of comedians who are mentally ill and have an axe to grind <laughs> whose intention is to not make you laugh is to be 
just plain old mean and rude. And I think that's the difference between people like myself and Don Rickles and Howard Stern, people who actually just care about entertaining people and we're there for them versus, hey, hi, I'm douchebag Joe McRacist homophobe <laughs> and I'm going to go up and make fun of everybody and make you as miserable as I and my pot smoking drinking self is when I go home. So that's, I think, yeah. why intent is very difficult to go by because there are some guys with an axe to ground who are just douchebags. Is my Joe douchebag? name is Joe Racist Homophobe. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, is Joe homophobe, is it more difficult to, for him to be funny, though, I would think? Because I feel like if I have a real axe to grind. Uh, you can just I'm, be unfunny. Yeah, I'm just Because expressing- you're, you're pushing too hard, and so you're unfunny. I'm pushing an agenda. I'm not as creative or witty rather than I'm, tr- you know. So it might come off that those people don't well, succeed as much. Or is this an issue in your guys' world? Are there a bunch of Joe Joey douchebags succeeding? Well, look at, I mean, you're talking about guys like, I mean, I was never myself convinced that Louis C.K. didn't mean every fucking thing he said. I never for a second, when I see a comic who only makes fun of one ethnic group versus all of them, like an insult comic would, Mm. I'm like, oh, you kind of hate Asians. Oh, you kind of hate black people. So I think there are those who get successful and their audience are meathead, random douchebags. But then you go, you know what, in the end of the day, as long as we can look at ourselves in the mirror and say, hey, I did the thing with the right intent and I apologize when I need to, that's what I think comedy is made of. And at least you can look yourself in the face at the end of the day. Yeah, sadly, I think that's just every job. Uh, You know, we have plenty of (laughs) mixed folks and not nice folks in our, our arena too. And you can't always judge their intent, but a lot of them just seem like scumbags chasing money or fame or chicks or whatever it might be at the end of the day you kind of walk your line and if you can sleep at night hats to you yeah i would say the dysfunction that we see is like narcissism and uh uh in authenticity yeah for sure just yeah, like scammy scammy fakey kind of you know uh that, that there's a bunch yeah. of that uh, way too much of it yeah the dm me, DM me on the fitness program or whatever else it's like some hot girl with 10 million followers and she, she's like hundred dollars you can buy this fit tea and like it, she doesn't know what's in it and it kills people that's that's right good. that's a good one yeah i've seen that a lot yeah there's there's yeah plenty i follow <laughs> yeah bo's drinking fit tea right? yeah yeah how's really that tea taste guys <laughs> how, how, do you have diarrhea yet because that's how you can tell you're drinking fit tea <laughs> yes, he does. Always. Yeah, it's he does. pretty consistent. Right? Yeah, it's good. It's working. Jim. It's good. You got the good stuff. <laughs> so uh, I know that <laughs> you guys did a live show recently, and I just listened to that episode, and you were talking about firsts, and I had already had yes. I already had this idea, but it, it dovetails nicely with what, what your uh, your show was. You're talking about firsts, first times, and. Being that it is Mental Health Awareness Month, we're kind of at the ass end of Mental Health Awareness Month, but it still counts. We had been talking about like the sort of the stigma around seeing a therapist, especially for guys, and like how to how people experience that first time of of sitting down and talking, and kind of like what leads them there. So we kind of just wanted to what do you bat that around a little bit? The main thing that pops in my head about the stigma of dudes doing it is twofold and maybe i'm just like ultra like 
sensitive and weird. But so one side, I think like the normal is what everyone thinks is like it's the macho man thing. Like don't feel feelings, blah, blah, blah. I got to be tough. I got to eat it. I got to keep it in. Can't express that. No, I'm fine. No, I'm okay. I think that's like kind of maybe not cliche because probably some of it is true. For me still, and I've gone to therapy <laughs> 25 years, 20, 20 years since like third grade. Uh in patches, I'm not totally insane, just happened. <laughs> but that is my like stigma is like I want to talk about it and share that it's normal and okay without one virtue signaling and without two like, hey, here's a red flag that I'm a insane human being because everyone thinks you only go to therapy and it is it's just so different. You only go to therapy when you're mentally sick is not true because you only go to the doctor really when you're broken and sick. Or at least I do. I don't go to the doctor just for fun, right? I got a broken arm. I go to the doctor. If you don't got a broken arm, why the hell are you going to the doctor? But therapy is slightly different where you can just go kind of weekly checkups. Right. Which, what? Yeah. So long story short <laughs> for my rant. Uh, yeah. What do you guys uh, find maybe the stigma is? Well, I think first of all, I'll obviously let them talk about this, but what I feel is that's why I thought they should do the podcast that they're doing now is because they're not afraid to work on themselves, go to the shrink, go to whatever meetings they have to do to stay sane human beings as much as they can, but still retain some sense of humor about it. So I think that's like, luckily it's becoming less, less stigmatizing for men to go to the shrink. I think every guy and woman should have to go to a freaking shrink, but mostly guys, because guys have a lot of stuff thrust upon them that women forget about. The, they have to look butch. They have to look tough. They have to keep the stiff upper lip. Ladies want a guy that cries, but then doesn't want the guy who cries. Yeah. So women have it, in my opinion, sometimes a lot easier when it comes to therapy and feelings. So, Bo, what, did, what drove you to therapy and how was your first time? I mean, I think what drove me to therapy the most was obviously my drinking problem and my problem with drugs. And, you know, I, I had to, I had to like go sit and just like talk to somebody and I had never really talked to anybody before. So that was definitely not easy. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's kind of like the gym where it's like the more you show up, I mean, I've never been in a gym, but I've heard, um, (laughs) the more, but like the more you, you know, show up and and just continue to like work that muscle. Then it, the easier it is to get vulnerable, right? Like yeah. the first time I tried to get vulnerable with a shrink or you know with somebody um, at a at a at a you know a twelve step meeting, it was not easy uh, at all. But you know, the next week it was a little easier, and then the week after that it was a little easier, right? So I think um, you know, and I have friends that I grew up with, you know, that I played football with, played sports with, that. You know, they're going through something. They'll call me on the phone. They'll go, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to like bother you with this because I don't want to. I don't want to be a a bitch, right? And and I always have to be like, no, dude, like you're not. That's not what this is. You know, uh, I want to hear what's going on with you. That way, I can better know you. You know, and it's and it's interesting because like a lot of guy friends that I have, I don't even really know them because they don't know themselves. So. Uh-huh. It's uh, I think it's it's a process of getting to know yourself and you can really only do that by like connecting with others. So I think but you know what? I also think what's good. What you just said was that it gets easier. It, yes. Therapy is like anal sex with enough liquor <laughs> oh. and lube. Oh. 
It really uh, works well. In both movies, he has to remove the liquor part because he's a dirty addict, which is weakness. But just kidding. Yeah. I love the addict community. I love the AA people. But with enough lube, it works out. Yeah, I have to buy a lot of lube. Uh, when he walks into it. the therapist's office backwards, it's really <laughs> fun. But in all seriousness, I apologize. Opening, you gotta go for you it. Go. Not just with comedy, but with anal. <laughs> <laughs> and I do want to say one last thing before we talk to Nick. I would like to say, Bo, yes. your openness is why a podcast like your guys works. Because, you know, you're not going to sit there and be all tight-assed about it. You're going to get out there and say, I go to therapy and I'm proud of it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, enough out of you, Nick. <laughs> yeah, for me, I just, honestly, I just started. I've been, uh, uh, I went to therapy a little bit as a kid right after uh, my mom died. My my uh, family put me in just to make sure I was okay. Um, but I don't really remember those. But I, I just started again last October. Um, and now I'm 33 years old. So with for me, and I know you guys can attest to this, and I always use this comparison because it's a field I've been in the longest and what I know the most about is performance. Like, is it is what you're doing now working? If you're doing a program to get stronger and you're not getting stronger or you're getting hurt constantly, then maybe switch it up, right? Like maybe it's not working. So yeah. that's how I, I – for me, it's simple. Like you want to get better. Okay, you're doing this, this, and this. It's not working. Let's try something else. Um, so for me, it was that's how I got myself to go in, into therapy. I love it. I still am currently struggling with, though, telling – people I go to therapy like to tell my dad took a little bit and now we talk about it openly or even like if I start dating girls like you know I kind of keep it like what are you up to today if I have therapy I'm like oh I'm just gonna go work out and I kind of like don't tell them yeah I'm gonna go walk (laughs) or go get a prostate exam what's your little voice saying though like is it like I don't want her to think I'm insane or I'm too tough. I don't want her to show my emotions. Cause these, cause you and I are the same age, dude. Like, and those things pop in my head and mine's the, I don't want to yeah. show that I'm insane. I am insane, but <laughs> I don't want to show that I'm insane. Uh, you know? So like, but I think the, the monster dude's like, nah, dude, chicks want a fucking tough dude in the truck. I ain't going to tell her shit. It's more, yeah, for me, it's more the insane thing. It's not the macho or toughness. Like growing up, I mean, you, you know, like being in the fitness world, like I have no problem being emotional or vulnerable it's just the therapy thing for whatever reason. There is still a little, like what I can compare it to, and Lisa helped me with this tremendously. It was like on our first episode we ever did, was I had tremendous shame about my father. You know, he's gone bankrupt twice. He is now 71 years old. He can't retire and he works at a fast food restaurant. And it's, you know, when you start dating girls or whatever, and, and that's been a pain point for me. Like they're like, well, your dad works at a, and I'm like, yeah, I know. So like, I, I've kind of, I was so shameful about it. And then Lisa reframed it for me in a way, like, why would you be, you know, shameful about it? And it's helped a lot. So I just think I need to get there with therapy as well. And you, know? you, you definitely will, because you're so open about it on the podcast. Luckily, none of the chicks you date <laughs> would bother listening because they're self-centered whores. Because <laughs> Nick is still attracted to self-centered whores, unlike Bo, who likes non-alcoholics who will end up drinking again. So it's a real mixed bag with the chicks, you know? Not wrong. Right? Not wrong. I say you put it all out there on the first date. You talk That's about right. your suicide attempts. You talk about your drinking. <laughs> the bitch ain't 
I don't disagree. Yeah, I don't disagree. If they're going to yeah. take it, they're yeah. going to take it, right? Like, Because maybe they went through something similar and, and maybe they didn't, or at least they'll understand. And if they don't understand, that's probably not who you want to be with anyways. Fuck them. If you can't handle me at my fat Thor, you don't yeah. deserve me at my jacked Thor. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah, <laughs> that's true that's great no but it, it helps man like it like even we did like a role playing on the podcast lisa made me role play with her how if i were on a date and a girl asked me what my dad did what would i say yeah and i was like even though it was a role play and it was just lisa and i i was like oh, i still got like nervous to yeah. talk about it and then i did it recently a few weeks ago and like went great it was Aww. fine like it felt like I told you about yeah. it. it was just, he I was like, didn't even Whoa. need to use the roofie that he had. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. She was listening. You know She's conscious. <laughs> he, literally, he literally told her the truth from the start. And she's way hotter than any girl you've ever dated, in my opinion. Well, well okay, she's super. She's up there for sure. Out uh, of his league. Top five. Yeah. Top yeah. Five. By the way, you guys, let me ask you guys a question because you clearly work on yourselves. You're good people. The other day, Nick showed us a picture of the girl he's dating. And what's great is he's not gross about it. He doesn't say anything untoward. He's really a gentleman about it. And we're like, oh, my God, she's so pretty, this and that. Well, Bo calls him later that night because Bo's needy and needs to always be yakking about his fucking problems. After I already saw him earlier in the day. Yeah, which too is much. super fucking needy. I need a lot of attention. Right, shut up. Nobody likes you. He says to Nick, dude, that chick is so hot. Way out of your league. Now, how is that helpful? If you're a man dating a woman who you know already is really gorgeous... I, I get why Bo said it because he's evil and has, hates himself as a drunk. Why do you guys think that is? Do you guys think that's helpful or just shitty? Go. What's that uh, movie? She's out of my league, maybe. Yeah. One of the guys just goes on a huge rant. I always just tell myself that, like, pure looks. I'm like a six out of ten, but I got a pretty successful podcast in a gym. Boops me up one point five. I got an okay car. I own a house. All right, I'm about an eight out of ten. <laughs> I, I think that, is that okay. like a, a cautionary thing where you say don't screw this up dude like you're you're oh, you're doing good it was yeah a yeah you're you're yeah. you're out of your skis a little bit let's you know you're it was you're a backhanded it was a backhanded compliment no, I, I disagree completely I think <laughs> Bo is just large and feels he has to shit on other people's parade and that's why he's still working on himself so much and I approve but, of you working on yourself listen it's, it's uh it's honestly a Scopoletti tradition to date out of our league, okay? I look like my dad, unfortunately, but my mom was very good look like to the point. I'm not kidding. When my grandmother met my dad for the first time, she's like, your mother kept talking about Bobby this, Bobby that. And she goes, I opened the door and I went, what? Oh. And everyone knew, like, she, she was 11 years older than him and everyone was like, what? She, my mom had some dad issues. I'm just going to let that out there. But... So that's what happened. But yeah, I'm trying to keep that Scopoletti tradition Good for you. going. That's the only one I want to keep going. Everything Isn't else that can a, go, but we're going to keep that one. <laughs> I don't know if it's a stereotype or not, but and maybe it's just how my eyes work, but I feel like that's way more normal for an ugly dude to get a very good-looking lady than a good-looking dude to date a very ugly lady. Well, we talked about that last week on the podcast, believe it or not. It's good timing that you say this. Yeah. It. I think women just happen to i mean some women judge less on looks and more on yeah. character and etc 
And I think guys are trained, and I'm not saying it's wrong or right, but guys are brought up to score the hot babe. Look at the movie Shallow Hal. Even though it was a comedy, there was so much truth in that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, as dad's on his deathbed, he says, bang a hot chick. Your mother wasn't hot, but get a hot girl. <laughs> so I think men have that thing on them. Yeah. You even look at sitcoms. King of Queens had a, the hottest wife on the planet, and he was chubby. It, so it's it's a common trope. I think men are also more superficial, but I'm not putting them down. It just comes from how they're raised. Yeah, maybe maturity can play a smaller role too. If you stay single a little longer, as a as a lady dude, doesn't really matter. Uh, you start to look for other factors in a partner than just somebody being really hot. When you're 22, like yeah, you just want a hot chick. Yeah, you start to be 30, 40, and maybe if you're still single, you're like, all right, well, does she got a brain? Does she like the same shit I like? Does she got a job? Does she? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Does she have a pulse? But by the time, by the time you get to 65, you're like missing a leg. Sign me. (laughs) I always wanted to date a guy who has one leg and uses a walker because he can't get away. Not very mobile. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I think right that now. Lisa and I are are sort of in the same age cohort, uh, close at least. Like I'm, I think I'm just a little bit behind you. Don't turn around quickly and say boo because I could startle, and then I, then you'd startle, and it would take us both out. I think. <laughs> if, from from my part, like how I ended up going to therapy, and I've been going for like th- over three years now. Uh, it was something I should have done a lot earlier. And I was really nervous about finding somebody that I could be comfortable talking to. And you always kind of, you know how, like when you read Yelp reviews, like if you get in down to the one and two stars, you go, oh, I would never go to that place because it's the worst place ever, clearly. And no one should ever go there. And all the people who rated it high are stupid. And uh, I've kind of felt that way about, about getting into therapy. It's like, what if I don't, match with somebody what if somebody's super judgmental with me what if like what if i'm so much more fucked up than i think i am and uh it it finally took like anxiety like overwhelming anxiety about people i was dealing with for work and um and an incident in my life where i I did what was in my mind clearly the right thing, but it was it was advertised as not being the right thing by by uh, by people, and I uh, yeah like a trauma yeah a trauma it was a, it. like yeah. a tra- yeah. it was a traumatic situation in which I did a thing that like people would say some people would say do that and other people would say don't do that, and it really like the moment it clicked for me it was probably two or three visits in because I was going like once a week at that point uh, that my therapist said like you're a good person like you're a good person and you have good intentions and you do good things and all this other stuff is just kind of bullshit and like that was the first time i ever cried in therapy was that somebody said you're a good person like i should have figured that out by now yeah it's hard to see it's (laughs) hard to see when you're in like (laughs) muck and smuck yeah like i i I should have figured it out by now right uh, looking at yourself good person who does some bad things or and continues to do less bad things as you get older is way different from going I'm flawed and that's where shame comes from as you know you know that you're deeply flawed and unworthy and I mean we're going to be fighting that forever but at least therapy I, I can see why you would tear up at just being told you're a good person 
because yeah. I mean, that's one of the biggest, the two biggest fears in life they say are I'll never be loved and I'm not good enough. And yeah. we're all walking around with that, which is why we're yelling at people or, you know, doing the wrong thing and abusing alcohol or drugs or bodybuilding or whatever crazy <laughs> shit we do like Nick did. And you just go, well, I actually am born a good person. I just have to do less shittier things as I get older. Yeah. I was at the crossroads of somebody telling me that I was a shitty person and somebody else telling me that I wasn't worth anything. So like, of, co of course I had yeah. anxiety, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mike and I were talking before we get started. Like, he, he talked about how young he was at the time. Like, you, you had a, a traumatic situation that... Yeah, a lot of my stuff, I was kind of lucky. Like, uh, even as an adult, I talk about therapy and I talk about going through depression and anxiety and all these things I deal with. Um, but we don't talk always, like, notes, notes. Like, you know, but my whole life's on the internet, so I might as well head into it. Might right? as well, there you uh, like second or third grade, I got attacked by a dog, and, and this thing almost ripped my face off. I had like 25 stitches or something like that, and uh, I'm too young to like, I remember all, like the pain, I remember the stitches and whatever. Hindsight, like my parents tell me uh, I was like kicking our dog, and I, I got all these anger issues, and I thought I just maybe had anger issues anyways, but my mom thought it really, really fucked me up, uh, punching holes in walls and shit in like third, fourth grade, you know, and so they forced me into therapy. I never like fucking... I didn't do anything crazy that I remember. Like, I never got kicked out of school. I was a good kid. Any tussle on the playground was like a normal tussle. It's not like I was just running around trying to punch everybody or anything. I was never the bully, but um, I'd get maybe more tussles than the nicest kid. And then, uh, so that was like five, six years of that. And I was telling Jim before, I don't remember a ton, but um, child therapy seems so much like better and easier because kids don't like know how to lie or suppress so like my therapist would just straight ask me stuff like, what was that dog's name? How do he make you feel? Like, what was it? And we'd just like repeat it and go over and play with like toys. And he'd have me like overact things and uh, you'd have like a little board. And they might even do this in some adult therapies. Like, you know, how are you feeling today? And he'd point to different emotions and kind of explain them to me. And, and, and so like, I think I started to get really in touch with that stuff super early. And then even later in life, in my teens, in my 20s, and even three years ago, uh, I'm just lucky to have like a supportive family where... Three years ago, I, I spiraled pretty deep and, and was pretty stuck, uh, just like not getting off the couch, like kind of the typical shit, I guess. Um, I, I'm over analytical, so I never dove into like alcohol because I know alcoholics run in my family. I never got into drugs because I know that runs in my family. Like I never really did anything. And so it maybe even got worse because I was just so suppressive at all. And I just like was 30% alive just sitting on my couch. And then mom basically had like a mini intervention, like, yeah, you're going to therapy. <laughs> like I'm calling someone you haven't moved yeah. in a week. Uh, and, and then that was that. So, and then that first time too, it's kind of more like gyms where I didn't really feel anyone out cause I didn't have any energy. I wasn't going to like hop there to be the therapy. It was lucky mm. that I even showed up to one. Mm. Um, and for me, I think, and this is what I tell a lot of friends that are going through stuff. Um, don't look at it like you're going to go fix yourself. Because it's not like the other doctors. You don't get a cast and then your arm's like better. Um, and I'm semi-interested in psychology and, and sociology and, you know, what why humans do shit. Uh, and so I, I just go to learn. Um, and, and I apply it to other humans in my life. And maybe I'm a judgmental asshole hater that I'm judging the fuck out of everybody from these things I learned from a psychologist. But uh, you obviously learn about yourself too and why you may or may not do things. Um, and I think the majority of us, even though I am pretty jaded, uh, many experiences Jim and I have gone through together yeah. uh, that I think people are pieces of shit. But 
And they are. I think there are some good people <laughs> that are very lost and just not self-aware trying to find their way. And those are the people, sadly, that need therapy. The yeah. ones that just aren't self-aware, they need to dive into some of this shit. Like, why do you do this? Why do you, whatever it might be. Why do you ditch all your friends? Why do you? Why are you self-destructive without knowing it? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why do you act a certain way? Um, and so I agree. I think everybody should go, like you said earlier, uh, Lisa. But I, I just don't think they will, which kind of sucks. Because it, I don't right. even know if it's the stigma. Right. I don't even know if it's the stigma. I, I don't know why, but I think it's self-awareness. I think the stigma for dudes, maybe. Uh, but self-awareness for a lot of people... Like if, if you're not an alcoholic or if you're not beating up your spouse, I don't think people are going to go. And I, I, I'm i kind of, I never beat anybody and I'm not an alcoholic, but I'm kind of a, 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 a anecdote to that because mm. I didn't go either. It's not like I went. My mm. mom's like, no, you're fucking going. Like you're fucked up. Uh, so I understand why people don't well, go, but. Yeah. Well, you, you, you say beating your family like it's a bad thing. I mean, sometimes. <laughs> little backhand never hurts. Yeah, you know what? You do the old Italian one. You hit her with an open hand. Just kidding. Of course, I have to say that or I'll be canceled for the 800th time. But it's like, it's interesting. The people who really need to go sometimes don't go, but it's our job to just like work on ourselves. And then we can be more accepting of their limits. And it's like, especially with family, you just got to, the way I have to look at it is I love them. Most of them are great people. Actually, they're all good people, but we all have limits. And that's what therapy has helped me with a lot is just accepting people's limits. And that's hard for people who want to control because we want to control everybody in every circumstance around us. Mm -hmm. So When's I think the, it's great uh, you guys at, uh, are talking about this. I think it's really, really good to open this up this way. How about you? When's the first time you went? Um, obviously, um, you've been a comedian a very long time. I mean, and and comedy has like yeah. a little bit of stigma around it too right like you were joking but not people being insane or being alcoholics and drugs you hear a lot of that stuff kind of in your guys's world um yeah. was that ever an issue or were you just going to feel better what kind of started it well no my my issue was always um i never liked booze or drugs i never really did much of that but i was a you know food addict for sure so what happened was i started therapy when i was 25 i didn't start comedy until i was 30 ish so I started therapy when I was 25 for like food stuff. And then it just kind of snowballed into just going to different practitioners. But then when I got semi-famous, I was like, oh my God, I need someone who gets comedians. And believe it or not, there's a shrink in the city who literally, Jim Florentine, and it's public, so that's why I can use his name. Jim Florentine told me, oh my God, Al Alan deals just with comedians because it's such a weird kind of world we live in. So... um I went to talk therapy for years and years and years and just recently realized it wasn't enough. And I'm like, okay, I solved everything we could talk about. How about we deal with any trauma that still lives in here and do it with EMDR or possibly internal family system. So like the deep stuff that's trauma that's still in there because I don't have any traumas with a capital T, thank God, but I have lots of small T traumas, you know, like abandonment issues, being ignored, whatever it was as a kid. So again, I've been lucky enough not to have the big T's because like, you know, I was never even me too, which by the way is a very hurtful thing. When <laughs> you're the only woman celebrity, you know, who's never had a me too moment. It's kind of sad. Uh, I joke, of course, but it is kind of sad. Really. What happened? What was it? So, so I'm just about to start with another therapist and I'm 59 and here's the deal. 
I don't think you ever are finished, and I think that's good. I don't think it's a bad thing to go the rest of your life. I'll be 80 and still working on different, more advanced problems, and I think that's fine. That's how you remain a human who has friends and has people who are going to help you when you're old. I would agree with that. My The guy that I see, um, you know, every two or three times, he's like, do we need to keep going? Like, are you? And I'm like, yeah. Like, let me explain it to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, the, I, I, I don't know if, if everybody is like this, but I, in my head, I kind of structure the conversation before I go in because I know so that I know what I want to talk about and get feedback on. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I have like a running mental list. I never go in without something I want to talk about specifically. And I think even the act of thinking about it that way helps in in and of itself because it helps you kind of work through the the um, the mechanics of why you feel the way you do about about what's going on. And then, you know, after three years, I, I a couple like last month, month before I had a moment where um, he said something to me that tied back to the first visit that I went to and explained somebody else's behavior in a way that I never understood it before. And, and then how my behavior fit into that. I was like, well, shit, like maybe we could, maybe we could have said that a little sooner. I'm not on you, but like it, it was just not, it wasn't obvious, I guess it didn't. I, I mean, something I said triggered what he said. And so it wasn't maybe not not all that clear before. It's like, oh, okay, this is the situation. This is why you probably reacted the way you did. This is probably why the the follow on stuff happened. And oh, by the way, this is probably never going to change. It's like, oh, all right. I, I actually now that I, I can accept that. Like you're talking about accepting people's limits. That's really what it comes down to. It's like, oh, this person is never going to get past this point with me. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, I know how to go forward now. Something I have an issue with going, uh, like, continuously. I've always gone on, like, patches of years. And I've heard other people do different things, so everyone might be a little bit different. Yeah, no worries, no worries. Uh, Is that uh, I never, like, leave feeling really good. And I think you've even told me, uh, like, sometimes you feel really bad. Sometimes you feel really good. Sometimes you feel really exhausted. But sometimes you feel lighter. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had that. Um, I, like, always come out, like kind of heavy and I always come out like learning and thinking more like part of my issues is like general anxiety disorder whatever pseudo diagnosis they gave me uh and so like I just overthink overanalyze everything and so some of the therapy just adds more to that like there's just more shit spinning around my little dome where so that's why I think I just can't go for 20 years straight I need like a breath you need a break in between maybe I don't know how about you guys do you ever leave feeling like really really good um, again, I've had cry sessions, you know, like my dad passed away in my early twenties yeah. and, and she dug into that one time and I'm bawling out like a baby and like crying kind of felt okay, but I didn't mm. leave there feeling awesome. I left there thinking more about my dad and feeling worse. Yeah. You know, I feel like if, uh, the more that I know about myself, the better I feel. Um, like if, and it, and it, sometimes it's hard to look at, right? Like there's a lot of things that are pointed out to me like how selfish I am or how prideful or, you know, greedy and obnoxious I can be, right? Like when some of this stuff gets pointed out to me by a therapist or like an advisor, like I, I feel, I feel better because at least I know, do you know what I mean? Like I'd rather, I'd rather know than be kind of like walking through this world, you know, completely clueless. 
and just hurting people for no reason, right? So I think I always like try to celebrate awareness rather than like beat myself up the second I learn something new about myself. Just because if I'm beating myself up, then I'm I'm like it's almost like you know, and I've never felt light in my entire life. But I, you know, when, at least when I, when I leave and I, I know that, okay, there's this new thing that I know that I need to work on. Um, I know at least, you know, there's something hopeful about that. Mm-hmm. There's something like, okay, I'm going to be a better person in a certain scenario. You know, otherwise I, I would have been, you know, pretty bad. So I think, I think there it's, you got, you can't beat yourself up too much. No, I think too it helps when you when you realize that you're reacting differently to negative situations than you would have before. Like, yeah, progress. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even if you're just a little bit numb about them, as yeah. opposed to reacting or overreacting, I think that that helps. Um, I think that it's like a modulating responses is a is a thing that I work on. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, knowing knowing when to say, "Hey, you're fucking with me. Don't fuck with me that much," and and do it in such a way that uh, you're not burning the house down. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, because I would want to burn yeah, the house down. I mean, and I would want some people to be in that house when it burns, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bo, Bo made a good point one time. I was going through something, and I was, like, having all these feelings or whatever, and he was like, hey, man, he goes, you know, it's good to have feelings. Like, some people don't have any. Like, some people just shut down. Mm-hmm. And that, for yeah. me kind of like open my eyes a little bit and that was one of the reasons why i avoided therapy for so long is because i've cre- i created this whatever it is i protected i'm in homeostasis i don't want anything to ruin that or rock that yeah. so that's why i stayed I, i'm so scared to go i was like what if i go and i discover something and and like so that was my biggest that was the biggest fear honestly of getting into therapy and getting over it and being able to go to therapy for me at least well, it's the same thing of like someone's worried about, oh, if I start crying, I'll never stop crying, right? And I yeah. think, I mean, I've spent months of my life as like an open wound where it's just I'm I'm a mess. And I think that I when I look back at those times, I think, wow, man, I was I was really experiencing my emotions. I was really human in those in those weeks and in those months that I was in pain. And like not, I never regret the the work that I did in that time. You know what I mean? You never you go, oh, that was that was worth it. That was a growing period, and I'm able to you know look back on that and actually like be proud of the way I handled myself through it. So I mean, I don't know. There's really like there's no downside to it. Um, I think that the reason why people don't go is because you just don't want. You're, it's terrible to find out that you're not perfect, and. It, it hurts and it's going to be super uncomfortable, but the key is to get comfortable being uncomfortable, right? Like uncomfortability is, is growth, it's change, and we need it to, to survive. And if you never change, then, you know, you die. You die yeah. Well, I mean, I've always known Bo was not perfect. I mean, I met him <laughs> and I was like, huh, there's almost nothing there. But in all seriousness, we just did an episode just taped an episode. I, I was like, I always suggest to them these topics that they don't want to do. And I'm like, fuck you. It's going to be great. Just like I made them do a live show and they both shit their pants at the idea <laughs> of it. But then it was fantastic. So I pushed them. We just did a show on death of a dream, which is basically having to give up that dream of what we thought our life would turn out as. Mm-hmm. And basically it's all just grief and sadness 
and you'll you will stop crying you will stop feeling the grief and the whole trick is not trying to just fill that hole with another meaningless thing so i love that it's really just feeling yourself allowing it to be uncomfortable with the sadness in your life and then going oh i didn't die i used to have a thing printed on my wall that said but did you die because last summer was so horrendous for me i was doing a lot of trauma therapy and i'm like oh i didn't die so you're <laughs> never going to not stop crying you're never going to die from it and thank god you know unless you have severe mental health and you're undiagnosed or don't get the help you need but I think just feeling the pain really is how to get through all of this and then move on to the next thing when you're ready. Yeah, I would agree. How did it, did did the actual pandemic cause anybody to feel worse than they were already feeling or or be really I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. You didn't well, no, I know that sounds and a lot of people have said this. It sounds bad to say, but it really helped me figure out priorities because I realized the friends that I was so happy I never had to see again or talk to again, the mm. people who I loved phone had phone conversations with but didn't like in person, the activities mm. that was just meaningless crap I was just running around to. So now the less is more thing is so obviously the way to go in possessions, in activities, in friendships, in relationships, and it's um it got me off a hamster wheel of trying to do too much and all that. So I I enjoyed the hell out of it. And add trauma therapy on top. I didn't die, so I don't know about these losers, but I thrived during a pandemic. I nailed that shit. I did. I did okay. I I, I would say fifty fifty. I, I there were some things that I definitely the slowing down helped, and you were able to focus on other things. And um, but you know, there definitely it caused it caused a lot of anxiety for me because when it first the pandemic first hit too. I was living with my dad, who's 70 years old. Now he's 71. And you're hearing this virus kills you know, older people. And I'm like, I went into a full panic. And he refused to stop. He's like, I'm not going to stop working. What am I going to do? You can't stay home. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. What can you do? But um, it definitely, yeah, it was a learning experience this year. Like I started, I started smoking weed for the first time since I was like 14. So it kind of like, and I stopped since January. I can't do it anymore. But it definitely, I was up and down a lot. It helped mm -hmm. a lot, but also, you know, definitely some bad things. But overall, it was good. So I didn't die. And I know yeah. Bo, I know Bo did great because he just drank the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I had a really tough time with the isolation. You know, I definitely need to be around people. And so, like, that was frustrating. Um, so, you know, I, but you know, you make it through and, and things seem to be getting better. So, but you know what I think too, you're talking about an age. I think it's an age thing too. Whereas these guys are still looking to hook up with the ladies. So they're missing going out and, drink, and not drinking, but having fun and picking up chicks. I'm 59 years old. If I never saw a dick again, I'd be thrilled. <laughs> I never, I never enjoy sex myself. All I end up with is you with a fucking UTI and a stiff neck. So I didn't care. When you remove that as like something that you miss, you're like, I'm kind of like cool the way it is. But I see where guys in their 20s and 30s would be like, oh my god, like, am I ever going to have a date again? 
I mean, but it yeah. still is like that. Yes, <laughs> it, it has not gotten better. You <laughs> will. Uh, f- for us, I, I, I'm sort of going to speak a little bit for Mike, but he can throw in like we had been on a path to open this gym and have a studio in the in the back room for the podcast and start an apparel line and all this business. And then we're seeing reports about the pandemic getting worse and worse and worse. And we went forward anyway, and we spent six figures on this freaking building uh, you know, re- renovating it and putting equipment in it and, and one thing and another. And oddly enough, that, you know, felt pretty good most of the time, honestly. I mean, we, yeah. we sort of stayed in our own bubble. Like, um, we interacted mostly with just each other and, and, you know, to a certain extent, family members. And, um, and that was kind of it. And, and, you know, being anxious people, like we think about worst case scenarios a lot. And when things are not as bad as we think that they might have become, then, you know, it's like, oh, all right, I, I can cope with this. Yeah, honestly, it was easy. I, I, I'm not very social. So that was easy staying at home. And then we worked. Yeah. We, uh, I like to work and I like to be alone. All I did was work and be alone. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That was easy. Love that. That's our whole. Yeah, it was easy. Oh, as I, we should probably wrap this up, and we've probably taken as much of your time as, uh, as uh, you know, is probably good for us to just ask of you <laughs> on the other, the other coast uh, with a, a, a re- retired famous comedian and a couple of losers. But uh, uh, tell us where, where people can find your show and you guys individually and any other closing thoughts you got. Yeah, plug away. Bo, you're good at this stuff because yeah, you're yeah. into social media and shit. Yeah, so um, you can uh, you can find Losers with a Dream on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, find us on YouTube. We have a big YouTube channel as well. New um, episodes every Monday. 8 a.m. 8 a.m. Eastern Standard. Nice. That's right. <laughs> and uh, you can follow me on uh, on Instagram at Bo McDowell Comedy. Uh, Bo is spelled B-E-A-U. Because I'm French and I'm hot. <laughs> Which neither is true, by the way. You can find him at Nick Scopes. Nick Scopes. Or baby. on Grinder. And you can find me at Lisa Lampanelli because I'm famous. But <laughs> yet I don't mind helping the charitable cases of Bridgeport, Connecticut. <laughs> Seriously, you guys. Oh, thank you so much for having us. You guys are cool as hell. I did not, when Nick honestly said, Hey, I'm, they're these fitness friends of mine. They're really good guys. I did not think it would be a deep discussion. And I'm so grateful that you're being real men and talking about real stuff. So thank you. Seriously, man. It's cool. Well, thank you very much for being on, all three of you. Yeah, thanks for taking the time, guys. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, brand new podcast every Wednesday. Yeah. Follow us, Third Street Barbell, 50% Facts. Three SP, uh, Mondays and Wednesdays, just block off your whole day. That's podcast days only from now on. Exactly. Uh, 3SB.co. I'm Silent Mike everywhere you want. And uh, hopefully we'll see you guys next week. I am at DJ McD on all the social media. This show is 50% facts where percent is a word and 50 is just numbers. We will be talking to you next week.